hello and welcome to another episode of the Noble Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How are you doing, Barney? How's it going? Yeah, good, man. And I just want to start by saying, um, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners will want to say as well, is, is congratulations on your um, fo- Noble Football Weekend, man. I thought the, <laughs> the podcast was uh, brilliant. I thought... I thought especially they sort of, you got a sort of insight into going to games. And I think more often than not, when you watch the games on TV, you see quite small, diminished crowds and you probably think the atmosphere actually isn't quite good in the stadiums. But what I thought your your little series did was really show that there is a great atmosphere in a lot of these stadiums and it, the, the games just sounded really exciting. Yeah, so and I thought it was just, yeah, just a really great listen overall. So, yeah, I really, I really want to say well done. I, I, I do have one criticism about that. <laughs> um, and I couldn't not, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I just felt like you really glossed over that Bezella fan who had brought in to the stadium his, his yellow card to wave at the rat. I'd never seen, I'd never heard or seen of that before. And I just thought it was amazing. And yet you just you sort mean, of just tossed it off like a, a, a you know, throwaway comment. <laughs> You're the second person to say that. I have a confession to make. Um, it's going to ruin the illusion a bit. I realised afterwards that he didn't bring it from home. That's why I didn't bring it up again. So when I went into the stadium, now, to give you a look behind the scenes, I recorded a lot of stuff that doesn't make the final edit because I listened back and it's basically just meaningless stuff. But but when I went into the stadium, there were these people giving out um, cards and it was like... <laughs> I. I I don't speak great Portuguese, but I was trying to understand what it was. They basically worked for a shoe company. It turns out in Vizela, they manufacture shoes or nearby. Um, so it was a shoe company and it was handing out these promotional things that were like, it was like a discount code on a card basically. But for some reason, they made it into yellow cards and red cards. But that is genius. One, but one guy was um, using it quite imaginatively when he didn't like the rough decision. He was showing the ref a yellow card. You're the second person to bring that up today, actually. Do you know what? And I, I forgot about it as well, <laughs> which is quite funny. But um, I mate, no, thank you. I'm, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you liked it. I have to say, it's been really, it's been really nice to get positive feedback on it. Um, I'm really glad people enjoyed it. If anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, last weekend I actually went to Porto and I recorded three podcasts from games live from the stadium. Um, first one was from Porto at the Estadio Jogal. Second one was two games in one day at Pasta Ferreira. And that Vizella, the one that Bonnie just mentioned, and the last day was at uh, at Rio Ave. Um, it's really good to get positive feedback because one thing that maybe doesn't come across, or sometimes I allude to it in the episodes, is that it can be quite a strange experience to record them because what people need to understand is I'm basically sitting at a football match by myself talking into my phone. So I'm really glad that the output gives you like a different impression, but sometimes it can be quite strange, especially when... You know, sometimes I'll try and find a space away from fans, but there were a couple of games where I was quite literally just in the middle of loads of fans um, talking on my phone and getting a, a few strange looks. But and a couple of people asked me what I was up to, and I, I explained it, so they were intrigued. But um, but no, it was it was it was a great weekend. Uh, that yellow card guy was was one of the highlights. Some other great fan moments. My my personal favourite was at Rio Ave when uh, the ultra one of the ultras had a megaphone. But his megaphone didn't work, so he was shouting into the megaphone. But the act of shouting into the megaphone actually made his voice quieter. That uh, that was that was quite a good one. I enjoyed that. Um, 
but yeah, no, it, it, I hope people enjoy it. If you're not listening to it yet, go listen to it. Um, and I hope it gives a, an interesting impression of, of, of Portuguese football. Three very different episodes. First episodes that they started to go, obviously, huge stadium, huge stadium noise, big crowd, you know, incredible atmosphere. And then the other ones are, are, are a lot more intimate at, at smaller stadiums and uh, at different types of games. I think the Rio Ave one is probably my favourite. Um, but yeah, have a listen and, and let me let me know what you think. I hope you enjoy it. Well, we've got one one more podcast running for the international break. So um, we're going to do something that's a little bit different because I'm sure everybody's kind of in international break mode thinking about their national team. So we're not actually going to dwell on games for too long in this episode we're going to run through the two games that involve teams from the top four and then we're going to get you up to speed with uh where the relegation battle is at because that's really tightening up so we're going to spend a bit of time on games in the first half of this show and then second half of the show is going to be a big q a with uh questions that you guys sent us in on twitter so we've got some great questions coming up me and barney have been reading them and we're excited to, to get stuck into those um but let's talk about some football barney um there was a big game at the weekend. There was a really, really big game uh, between Braga and Porto. I, I joked about it on Twitter afterwards, Barney, as as one of the best nil-nils I've ever seen. If you don't know already, uh, the game ended nil-nil. The teams had to settle for a point each. But the game itself, I, I, I really enjoyed. Interestingly, I did go on Twitter afterwards and I saw some different opinions. Some people weren't quite as impressed with the game as me. Maybe it's just personal opinion. But as a neutral, I found the game really fascinating to watch um in my opinion i think in the first half there was only one team in it i thought braga were comfortably the better team in the first half i thought in general porto looked a bit off it they came back in a little bit in the second half but the really interesting thing for me by was just how both of these teams despite one team playing well one team playing poorly neither of them made the breakthrough but both teams i thought had massive chances to win the game after we'll, we'll come on to it in a second but obviously it's a game where a win would have would have been great for both teams trying to kind of solidify second place, really. We'll come on to what the result means for two both teams in a second. But the game itself, I'm interested to get your opinion. Um, I was really impressed with Braga, if you want to start with them. Arguably, I thought this was one of their best performances of, of the whole season. And, you know, if, if, if Pitsy doesn't lose his head in the last minute of the game we could be talking about a, a really great result and a deserved win for Braga which to be honest if you've had to pick a team I would I would say Braga with a better team and possibly deserve to win the game no I, I agree with you but I think I mean I, I wrote down it but you know everybody got to ask ourselves was this the opportunity for Braga because I thought that they I really felt that they should have come away with the three points in this game like you said they were just rampant and it was a good little 11 and I, I mean, I'm kind to say arguably their strongest 11. You know, that's with um, the two Water Brothers in the team, um, Rumor on the left hand side, Yuri Madeiros on the right, and then and, and that back four, which just seems to, this certainly their strongest with Sakira and the Akate Tormena and uh, Victor Gomez. I think that's the strongest, their, their strongest 11. And they just created so many opportunities, didn't they, Albert? And, they, and really good, good quality ones as well. I think Diego Costa made a few, a few okay saves, but they just needed they needed that goal really. And and, and when you look at and and, and look at it from the other side as well, Porto, you know, Porto have had their they've had their European campaign come to an end. There'll be some, some fatigue to do related to that, and they've they've had you know it's been a it's been a, a different season for them, I would say. And and this felt like 
this felt like a really significant game. I know we're going to talk about how, where it leaves them both afterwards in a bit, but I just felt like, yeah, this was this was. I, I came away from the game thinking that was the moment for Braga, and I felt that like they lost lost it. And also, there was an opportunity there because, in my opinion, it was a it was a weakened Porto side. You say it was Braga's strongest eleven. I think that's definitely true. It definitely wasn't Porto's strongest eleven. You look at that back four where they brought in Rodrigo Conceição. They brought in Fabio Cardoso and they brought in Wendell. I think that's three players out of a back four who um, wouldn't start normally. Obviously, Pep's injured. Uh, Joao Mario's injured. I think I don't know if Sanusi's injured or just rotated. But you know, it was a, it was a heavily rotated team, even in midfield. I think Aribe and Gruich, they're decent players. Aribe's been good, but is a bit inconsistent. I think they missed Eustachio in midfield. So there was an opportunity for Braga to to get the win. I. One thing I took from last weekend when I, I saw Braga in the flesh against Vizela was just how good some of their players are in real life. It took, I don't know why, you know, you get a different impression when you when you see players in the flesh on TV. But, I mean, Yakate at the back, I think, is, is, is just growing every single week and looks a phenomenal centre-back. He was, for me, the best defender on the pitch for either team, comfortably. He's such a good defender. Um... I think Victor Gomez, a right back, phenomenal right back, starting to look really good. And Barney, Ali Almazrati is just, he's hes a, hes a machine. It's so funny how um, a lot of Portuguese fans refer to William Carvalho as the velvet tank. And I think Ali Almazrati is the man to take on that mantle now. Just uh, It's the combination of physicality. He's a big lad. You know, he's tall, he's broad, he's strong, he's pure muscle. But it's the technique and, and he's got a deceptive pace and his ability to just... He he covers every single blade of grass. He reads the game so well. He's he's an incredible player. So I think, like you, I agree. So this was an opportunity for Prague to, to get the win. And obviously the elephant in the room here that I alluded to earlier is that they had the best chance to win the game in the very last minute when the ball falls to Pitsy in the box on a counter-attack and he makes the kind of bizarre decision to to square the ball to Banzo who's marked by a Porto player rather than shoot I've seen a couple of opinions on Twitter Barney I want to get your view on this a couple of people saying it's as valid a choice to pass the ball as to shoot because if he passes then Banzo's got to tap in I could not disagree more it is inexcusable what he did in that moment because he is so close to the goal he's so obviously one on one he just needs to put his foot through the ball and he's got a good chance of scoring. And I think I think the two biggest chances of the game, because he missed one before that as well, a few minutes before Pitsy. That was a tougher chance, but he missed it. Maybe that was on his mind when he didn't shoot. But he's had two fantastic opportunities to uh to score. They brought him in for experience. They brought him in to to know what to do in these situations. I think he's let them down. I was fuming. I'm not even a Braga fan, and I was absolutely fuming. No, I think that's a really interesting point on Pitsy. I mean, I think I saw some someone break down statistics on sort of his goal scoring form um in the sort of final few years at Benfica and 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 this this um this season as well and it's you know there is a, is a rapid decline and but I agree with you Albert like you said there I, I remember when they signed him I thought it was a smart bit of business um to get some of that with that pedigree in, in back into the Braga team and sort of essentially to come in and do a game like this and maybe get on the pitch and get a goal. And and, and that got me thinking a bit more because when you saw the players brought on for Braga in this game, 
you know, um, Castro, uh, Pizzi, Jallo, and, and Banza. Banza, obviously, we, we, we talk about Banza a lot, and I, I would always bring him on into this game. But it's to get me thinking about something we perhaps haven't talked about with Arthur George. And, and that, that's the the sort of dwindling opportunities he's given to youngsters, right? Because I'm thinking of players like Rodrigo Gomez and, or, or Roger Fernandez, you know, players who have had un, under um, Carvalho were given a few opportunities and, and brought into the limelight. I know they've had a few opportunities in the cup. But when you're looking for a bit of a spark, perhaps, uh, you know, someone with a bit... I don't know. I mean, this is all in, in, the, in the hindsight of those pizza misses, right? But I, I, I still think that's something we perhaps haven't discussed is... I, I thought Rodrigo Gomez looked like a great player. It was, you know, I think remember in pre-season he scored an amazing goal and I thought that's someone who could really be a big player for Braga this season. Roger Fernandes as well as as young as he is, perhaps he needs a bit more time before he's given more opportunities in the first thing. But still, I think these are exciting on players that I feel like Arthur George hasn't used as much as I, I would have liked, perhaps. It's a very interesting point. I mean, it it goes without saying that now Braga are in this position where they have a very valid uh, claim for a Champions League spot that the manager will kind of think, well, he needs more experienced players on the pitch. But is he, is he disregarding what got them to this position in the first place in terms of Trusting you, it's a difficult, it's a difficult argument. I think if, like you say, hindsight is a wonderful thing. If you'd asked me before the game, who would I want in that position, Pitsy or a young kind of 21, 20 year old uh, winger, promising winger, who would I want in that position? I personally would probably pick Pitsy just because I think he's more likely to put the ball in the back of the net. But alas, he he doesn't do so, and, and we're having this conversation after the fact. I I think one thing I just wanted to end on with Braga but is that. Um... Sporting Benfica and Porto, none of them have won at Braga this season, and that's the mm-hmm. first time yeah. since 2009 um, at, where Braga have, have finished a championship without a defeat at home from the big three. So I think that's a really good stat to sort of sum up what where Braga are this season. And, and sort of like we were saying at the top there, that we felt that this is a missed opportunity for them. Mm. And a great attendance as well at the game, really good atmosphere. So yeah, it's good to see them in a good place. The final thing I want to talk about on this game, Barney, is the obvious question. It's a point for each team a point which doesn't really help anyone other than Benfica um who which of the two do you think will be most disappointed with this draw if you like I'll go first I think personally um a win would have put Braga one point ahead of Porto in second place I think actually though Porto will be more disappointed with this point because they are now 10 points behind Benfica we're going to talk about Benfica next um that for me firmly puts the nail in the coffin of their of any hopes they had of the title although I've been on record saying that even with a five point gap I thought there was no hope but with 10 points now that is completely dead they're out of Champions League um, and I think this does kind of signal an end to their season so despite the fact that Braga winning would have put them higher up above Porto in the table I still think this is the worst result for, for Porto yeah perhaps I think the only thing I'd say is that in, in this in, in this moment, like you alluded to, like Porto are, are, are feeling, I would imagine a, a bit of a come down from the Champions League. Whereas, but they've got the international break now, and you know what's their next battle? It's going to be securing second, right? And and, and yeah. Coach will whip them up into, you know, fighting for that. So I think the the battle between Braga and Porto is going to be real, really tough. And I'm inclined to say Porto with everything they've got is it might be the stronger of the two. Mm. Well. The difference being that there's a big Clasico to come 
in the coming weeks. So uh, Porto have got the small obstacle of Benfica to to overcome if they're going to keep that second place aim alive. Let's talk about Benfica and Barney. It was another big win at the weekend. It was 5-1 against Vitoria. I joked on Twitter after the game saying, you know, that I basically am now just going to say the same thing after every Benfica game, that they are just a very, very good football team because it's true at this point that there really is very little to add. We, we, we've joked about it on this show. We find it quite hard to talk about Benfica on the show now because there's, there's not much new to say other than that, than that they're phenomenal every single week. Um, they dispatched one of the best teams outside of the top three with ease. It was like a pre-season friendly during that first half, Barney. It was like they were playing a second division side in the cup. Um, they were 4-0 up at half time. And it's not against anyone. This is Vittoria, who've done really well recently, been in good form, and they're fifth in the table. And they were just absolutely blown away by Benfica. I, I think we'll talk about a bit more about this and when we come to the questions in the second half of the show. But I think what... I saw a comment from Roger Smith, um, which I think perfectly sums up this Benfica team. And it's just... They they have the same intensity in the Champions League as they do in the league, and and that's exactly right. Every single every single game this season, they've been at a hundred, right? They 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 have shown no sign of sort of easing off at all. Um, uh, I was really impressed with David Neres uh, in particular. I know we've talked quite a bit about him recently, but I think I I just saw better passing decisions from him in this game. I think you know he was. He was making plays better. Even um, it was that Jao Mario goal. You know, I think there was a moment where usually you would have seen him. He got the ball a bit twisted in his feet, but he came away with it still. And then he he put the pass up to Goncalo Ramos, who who set up Jao Mario. But I think in in a few months ago, you would have seen him try and keep the ball and dribble a bit more by himself. You know what I mean? But I think that just showed that he he's a bit more aware of the the, the options that Benfica have in their attack because they get so many players forward and. Yeah, I think he's looking a lot more, 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 more accomplished than just you know another strong player who's just getting better and better. I think he, in many ways, exemplifies what Roger Schmidt has brought to the team in terms of professionalism and, and consistency. For exactly that reason you just said, I think he came in to Benfica with a bit of a reputation about this as a player that we know has raw ability, but can he always apply himself? Can he always make good decisions? Well, I think Roger Schmidt has shown him that if he doesn't do those things he's not going to be in the team because there were periods when he was only coming off the bench and he wasn't starting. But like you said, he seems to really have, have got his act together. And it reminds me, you know, of a lot of what I was saying about Conscious South Porto last season where they were really leading the pack uh, and they just looked a level above everyone else. And it's not just about ability. It's about consistency. It's about professionalism. It's about a team that just looks like a slick, well-oiled machine. A team that you look at and you just don't see any chinks in the armour. Everything goes to plan because every single player knows what they're doing. Every single player is buying into the same system. Uh, and that's exactly what we're seeing with, with Benfica this season. And they're playing some lovely football, Barley. I, I think the goal that's been shared around the most is that fourth goal, the fourth of the first half, where it's uh, it's the building from the back. It's the rapid counter-attack. I think, is that the one you were talking about with, with David Neres? That goal is just exemplifies what the team is about. Incredible football, every player making the right decision uh, and all players showing that they can play play with the ball at their feet. Um, really, I really mean, wonderful to watch. I wanted to talk about Shaquinho for that exact reason, you know, wanting wanting the ball at his feet. I mean, just another very, very good game in the, in the middle of the, alongside Florentino. 
you know, the Enzo role, if you will. He had the most touches of anyone on the pitch of 118. He had the best passing actually on the pitch. And he was just, he just wanted the ball. He was putting passes forward, getting passes wide in behind. Just, yeah, just a, a, another, it just, you know, and that's, that's the thing that you were, we were both been talking about there, isn't it? It's, it's a player of Chiquinho's history being yeah. able to come into this Roger Schmidt team and, and just look like a an incredible player. And I think that's that's what I like about the fact that they they brought in an outsider. It was really interesting. I saw I don't know if this is actually true, but I did see on Twitter some um some Benfica fans posting a, a quote which was attributed to Luis Felipe Vieira where he was asked about Roger Schmidt and Louis Felipe Vieira said he wasn't interested in Roger Schmidt because he was sure that there was a Portuguese coach who could who could do what what was needed, and then obviously Rui Rui Costa was brought in an outsider, and I think that this is what I like about the fact that they brought in an outsider, a player like Chiquinho who probably has a lot of baggage, and, and, and a manager from the league will will have that baggage attached to him about this player who's perhaps not got a best reputation. You know, maybe he was he's a player who's been on the outskirts. They they've tried to move on. Roger Smith has come in, doesn't see any of that baggage. Just he's a player and says, look, if you work hard. And you apply what I'm asking you to do on the pitch, then you'll be given opportunities. And I think they're benefiting from it because it's, it's a player that we knew had talent and it's been given confidence and belief by his manager. So I think that is one of the many reasons why, you know, having an outsider come in sometimes can really shake things up in the right way. I think it's exactly what Benfica needed. I think credit needs to go to, to Rui Costa for, for bringing in the right manager um, because it's, it's working wonders. We're, we're talking. We're, talking, we're having the conversations that we, we should be having on our last episode of the season when they won the league, right? They haven't won the league yet, but I, I, some stats for you, Barney. I, I mentioned a couple of these in the Porter discussion, but they're obviously 10 points clear at the top of the table. That's the first time that a team in the Portuguese league has been 10 points clear at the top of the table since since um, they changed the rules so that you got three points for a win. So since you were getting three points for a win, there's never been a team. 10 points clear at the top of the table. There, there's nine games left to go. Um, they're playing Porto in a couple of weeks. If they win that game, then it's definitely game over. But I think you may as well give them the trophy to lift now because there's not a team as good as them in Portugal and there's no one going to catch them. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But I wanted to talk about Vittoria as well because um, this is the first time in a long time that they've conceded five goals. And I think that sort of shows... Well, it shows two things. Obviously, it shows at the level that Benfica are playing at. But I actually... I saw Moreno after the game sort of say that the scoreline flattered Benfica, uh, but I'm I'm not so sure. I think there was a huge, a huge thing going on in Vittoria's defence. You know that that obviously Bamba wasn't wasn't in the team. Um, he's out injured, and Moreno decides to put in Danny Silva, who who as far as I've seen this season is a, is a young centre midfield, uh, and he put him in Bamba's role in the middle of that back three alongside Villanueva and. Um, Amaro and I just thought that that was a huge call to make you know plus for in the fact that you haven't got Bruno Varela in, in goal as well you know that that that's suddenly that defence has completely changed and I, I think that's what we saw in this game you know there, there was just I, I felt sorry I didn't I don't really blame Danny Silva for for, for you know he, he didn't have the best game but he, like like I said he's not, he's not a centre back he's a, he's a centre midfielder and I've just thought I thought that was a big, big mistake from Renner to, to make that move. When you've got like your Fernandez on the bench, who's you know not not my favourite centre back, but he is a centre back. You know, there's there's players that they could have brought in that position. And I thought that was a, yeah, a strange one there. 
Well, he played further forward in the second half and got an assist. So I think that kind of tells you everything you need to know about his game. I completely disagree with Moreno. The, 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 the result didn't flatter Benfica. They they were comfortably 4-0 up in the first half and they deserved every goal. They took their foot off the gas in the second half and, and Vittoria got a goal back, but Vittoria well beaten. That said, I'm not, I'm not here to hammer Vittoria because the thing I've said about other teams who've played Benfica this season is that you're not going to get judged on your results against Benfica in the Estadio to lose this season. You're going to be judged on your other results. Vittoria are in a great run of form if you take this game out of the equation. Their job now is just to bounce back in the next game and show that, look, this was just a blip. There was nothing they can do about it. They weren't solid enough, but look, write it off and go to the next game against an um, easier opponent and show that, you know, their, their, their heads are still on, their their mind's still in the right place and, and they're ready to get, to, they're ready to go again because they, they have been very good and I, and I have been impressed with them. I think they're, what, five points clear in fifth place now. They're solidifying that place. They look like they're going to be in the conference league and I think, yeah, it's just about them showing that this this game was just a write-off and, yeah, just move on. One thing I don't know if we've talked about on this podcast, which I only sort of realised the other day at the weekend, was that um, I think Moreno is the first assistant manager in in the history of the league to be awarded manager of the month. I think he hasn't got his pro licence yet, so he's officially listed as an assistant manager. Um, I didn't know this either. Yeah. yeah, I, I, I couldn't believe when I heard it because, yeah, he's he's done an amazing job, so... Uh, you just sort of, uh, sort of, I guess that just sort of highlights that um, it's almost like a Will Steel. <laughs> I was just about to say that he's the Portuguese Will Steel. <laughs> Let's move on swiftly, shall quickly, we? Yeah. Um, right, we're, just, we're going to take you through the three games from the teams involved in the relegation battle because, like we said at the top of the show, it, it's getting very tight down there, and and I think all three of these teams are in very different places. Let's start at at the bottom and, and work our way up in terms of form, Barney. That's how I want to do this. Um, we're going to start with Santa Clara. They played Rio Ave, and I watched this game with great interest on Friday night. I obviously saw Santa Clara lose uh, to relegation rivals past Ferreira in a very damaging 1-0 loss against their relegation rivals. It put them bottom of the table. Uh, I was fascinated to see how they were going to respond. I was waiting to see if there was going to be a moment that Santa Clara were going to turn it around and they almost got it Barney because it was it was that first half where neither team was amazing it was nil-nil but we were after given a penalty in the 45th minute it's a penalty that's saved by Santa Clara in a huge moment uh, at a moment that at the time I really thought this could be a turning point for them not just in the game but a, a moment that they could they, they that could turn around their whole season, you know. Sadly, in the second half, it, it it wasn't to be. They pretty much capitulated. They scored what was a comical own goal, a comical own goal in five minutes into the second half, and they never recovered from that moment. They went on to lose the game two 0 It's their sixth consecutive loss. They have lost ten of their last 12 games the other two games were both draws their last win came on november the 14th 2022 and this season they have spent 20 out of the 25 game weeks in the bottom three i'm going to ask ask you a tough question barney what has to change for them to recover from this i think it's an impossible question <laughs> you're asking me i feel like you're asking me this question every week man it's just like <laughs> and i've got i've got no answers I, I, 
I think that uh, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way to you, Barney. What changed for Passos to Ferreira that hasn't changed for Santa Clara? Well, I think it's a bit. It's a one is belief, right? I think that's yeah. the big thing with Passos to Ferreira, and and I think with Santa Clara, there's there's no real players who I feel have skin in the game. If you know what I mean, I think there's you know it's it's it, we've we've talked several times about this squad how 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 weirdly put together it is the, the the vast amount of players that have come in and out of the eleven. And so there, there's just seems to be no one there who's it, who cares. I don't feel like there's no, no one there who feels it's, it's their home. If if if, if I mean that's a, a real harsh thing to say some players, but I just look at that squad and I just don't think of I don't think of anyone who's who's uh, maybe Costina, but like who's a Santa Clara man, man. If you know what I mean, I just I can't see anyone there. Well, that's that's a really good point, and we've spoken many times about their transfer policy, which is to bring in a lot of new players from a lot of different parts of the world. Mainly, mainly South America, and obviously when you unearth that hidden gem, it, it works well. But I think now we're starting to see it backfire a little bit because this is a perfect example of when you need players who are loyal and committed. In the nicest possible way, you've brought in a lot of maybe mercenaries. Maybe that's a bit harsh, but brought in a lot of players where you've basically sold them the club by saying you can use this as a building block to a bigger, bigger club in Portugal or a bigger club in Europe. Then you've got players who are not committed. Here's the other thing that I think is a big, big problem, Barney. Other clubs have had a new manager bounce, whether it's Maritimo had that new manager bounce, which was a Gomes, or whether it's, you know, slightly bizarrely, but Pastor Ferreira bringing back their old manager, but experiencing a new manager bounce. Santa Clara haven't had that. I didn't even know that they'd appointed a new manager, Barney. I was still under yeah. the impression they were looking for a manager. They have appointed a manager. Their manager is Danildo Accioli, right? He's only been appointed until the end of the season. What does that tell you about the Santa Clara leadership at this point? That they've only given a manager a deal until the end of the season? Because to me, the thing that I'm most disappointed with is that Santa Clara, after a string of what I call progressive managerial appointments, whether that was Mario Silva or other managers that they've appointed in the last year, which I thought were positive managerial decisions a couple of them didn't work but they kept appointing new progressive managers they then went down the Joao Henriquez route a route that I didn't like but I suppose in hindsight Barney the one thing that you could say was that at least they were looking for a manager who was going to solidify their position in the Primera Liga it's not a decision I liked but I think it is a valid decision the thing I don't like about this is that it just screams to me that the board has given up they've just employed this manager until the end of the year what does that tell your team? What does that tell your squad about the club's commitment to to survival or the club's commitment to to building this team? Why should the players be motivated when they're not getting that motivation or that spark from the top down? You look at a team like Pastor Ferreira, those senior players in that squad, Antunj, Luis Carlos, Nico Gaitan, players that are gonna galvanize the team and be leaders. Where are the leaders? in this in this Santa Clara team there are absolutely none I think it's a really really dire situation you know I I I, I will accept that I made mistakes in the past I think I'd condemned Pastor Ferreira too much of course they may still work, may may well still go down they lost their first 12 games of the season um they may and they may well still be relegated but I, I should have given them more of an opportunity to to turn it around given the players they had in the squad I'm going to do it again, I think, though, Barney, and I am going to condemn Santa Clara because I defy anyone to show me 
where the change is going to come from that is going to uh, that is going to salvage their season because it's not going to come from the manager, it's not going to come from the players, and it's not going to come from the board. So where is it going to come from? Yeah, and, and do you know what? It's, I've been a I haven't watched Rio that uh, enough this season, perhaps, but I, I think I would say that, and maybe this is harsh. You can correct me if you think it's wrong, but I feel like for the relegation t- teams in the relegation zone, I think Rio Ava is a game where you'd want to be getting at least a point. You know, they they haven't been fantastic, so this this was a missed opportunity, and then and, and uh, yeah, it's it was. I was surprised seeing players come out of that eleven for Santa Clara, like Nanu. I think. Is it was a, a, a true bit of business, but not on the team. Gabriel Silva, the player, the only player who scored for them like, in twenty twenty three. Like, where where why is he starting? I, I don't know. It's messy. It's horrible. It's a yeah. It's 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 not looking great. And um, yeah, got nothing else really. What more can you say? Rio Ave Barney. I agree with your point that Rio Ave for a relegation threatened team will look at that game as as game they have to get something out of. Um, but to be fair to them, I think they are in a good little run of form. They've won now four games out of their last six. Um, in the last six weeks, Barney, they've climbed from 13th in the table to 8th in the table. They're five points off 7th place. 7th and 6th place, they're five points off. Um, it's probably gonna, It would obviously be a, a lot of work to overtake those teams, but it does give them a nice little target to aim for with nine games left of the season. They're playing Benfica next week, but after that, they've got no more of the top four to play. So... I think Rio Ave can look forward to a, a, a good end of the season. I think they're in good form. They've come into good form at the right time. They had a sticky patch, I thought, in the middle of the season where they, they didn't play their best. They didn't quite hit the heights that I expected them to. But listen, I think they've got players coming into good form at the right time. They've got a good run of games coming up after next week. And I think they can look forward to uh, an enjoyable end of the season where basically they've got the freedom to just try and get as high up the table as they can, really, without any threat of relegation. Yeah, I think I, I think we can say they've 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 done enough, haven't they? They've they've yeah. they've, they've, they've they had a few wobbly moments this season, but they they look to have found their stride now. So yeah, they're they're looking good. Let's look up a little bit, Barney, and 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 look at Maritimo. Um, unfortunately, they fell to another defeat. As in my opinion, their form takes an, a, another dip. Really, um, they lost two 0 to Casapia. Things had started very positively under. Jose Gomez, we talked about them having a new manager bounce. They beat Sporting. They got two wins early on in Gomez's tenure. But they've lost five of their last six games now. Um, and I think under after a period under the new manager where they seem to get that motivational boost, they, the, the players seem to be pumped up and, and animated. I, I don't know whether you agree with this, but my sense is that their lack of quality in the squad is, is is starting to catch up with them again after an initial kind of psychological and, and motivational boost, which saw them get a couple of good results. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. I'd, I'd say lack of quality, but but I'd also not luck. But there's mistakes. There's so many mistakes we're eating at the moment. And, and when you look at a team like Patras, who we're going to talk about in a second, but that, that where they seem to be getting sort of that little bit of luck that you know going their way think a few decisions like you know with Marito it just seems to be the opposite you, you look at the the mistake by uh, Vita Costa from this game just sort of for, for the first goal and, and and then the red card for it It just all these things just seem to keep happening to them and that just gives them very little chance you know um, I do think Casapia Casapia played very very good in this game um, themselves but yeah I think 
it just felt like Marisa was just they're, sometimes their own worst enemies, aren't they? They're just, just yeah, it's really poor from the, from the back out. I think the defenses, the the names in that back line, I I used to hold quite highly in terms of I used to rate quite a lot of those players, but at the moment they just seems to be so weak and, and so sloppy. Yeah, I think I think I know I know I know you have a soft spot for Marisa Obani. I think I don't think I don't think I could. I could put this down down to bad luck. I think, I think defensively they were really really poor. And you talk about that mistake for the first goal. It's just it is it's criminal. It, how can you do that when your team is in a relegation battle? You need every point that you can get, and a centre back is just passing the ball back to his keeper without even looking over his shoulder, and there's no weight on the pass. It's just basic basic errors that has really let the team down. But not just that, which was like an individual error. I think the, the defending for the second goal, they made Kazab- they made it so easy for Kazapia. They made that, that second goal look so easy. It's just a little clipped-in ball from the right-hand side. It's a very easy header. Um, and I think both goals were, were, were very avoidable and the defence looks very shaky. They they never troubled Kazapia either going forward. And I think that's a big problem. Uh, I think Jose Gomez, you're not going to like this by now. When I wrote this down, I thought Barney's not going to like this. Jose Gomez persists with Brian Riascos up front. I think, I think he's personally, I think he's a hindrance to that team. I think what he offers in terms of work effort is good, and I, 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 I like having that physical presence up front. But he, I think, he lets them down when it comes to quality. Counter attacks break down because of him. Positive chances turn into nothing because of his lack of touch or his, or his lack of passing. I get why he's up front. I get why you want that kind of energy and leadership from the front. But I think at this point, I would be looking for an alternative option up front from inside the squad. It just seems a, a world away from when they had Ali Ali Poor up front, who I think is a much more complete striker. Yeah, yeah, no. I mean, uh, Riasco said five shots, none on target. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And and they've got other players like Percy Lizards. I've liked him for what I've seen, but they've also got like the likes of um, Felix Carrera, unknown for Juventus, like a, a real young, exciting winger who, who could could have done the job that Riascos was was trying to do in this game. Um, yeah, it's, and and I know we've been praising Pablo Moreno as well, but he needs to be scoring at some point. You know, we've, we've, mm-hmm. we've seen some good glimpses from, him, but he needs to get a goal at some point, and and that's just not happening. Happening, him, him and Riascos up front just do not gel at all. That they, yeah, and you can tell from the body language as well. I think um, when you look at Moreno's body language, I, I like him as a player, and I would keep him in the starting eleven because I think he's got the ability to make things happen. But I, I was a little bit unimpressed with his body language at times where he he was a bit frustrated with Riascos, and I think you're allowed to think that, but you shouldn't let it show on the pitch. Well, I was going to say, Moreno's come from City, hasn't he? He's, 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 he's on City's book, so he's he's seen what it can be like. Uh, Riascos hasn't seen that, has he? There's a, yeah, different levels that go on there. No, I mean, I'm feeling similar vibes to Santa Clara, Albert, in terms of I, I can't quite put my finger on what exactly they need to change. Um, I, I Perhaps it was a bit strange playing Jadis in the position he was in this game, sort of slightly far back, when bringing Beltrami into the midfield. Uh, uh, I, yeah, it's it's... It's a tough one, I, but I, I also I'm, I'm inclined to give a lot of praise to Casapia. I think you know there's some we we haven't talked about Cardoso so far on this podcast. The the, the Brazilian striker who's three goals now in two games. Um, 
they signed him on uh, Santos in Brazil on uh, at the end of the January transfer window. Um, but he'd been playing in Japan, but before this move, and, and I I don't know he he looks good. I, I wrote down that his his first goal after he he, he got the um the poor pass back from Vita Costa was a bit original Ronaldo esque, you know, with those step overs and and sitting <laughs> the keeper down. Um, and you know we've been we thought Clayson was looking like. The, you know, a decent striker, but like I think Cardoso is potentially looking even better with, with the impact he's made in his last two games. Rafael Myers can't even get minutes at this rate, Barney. I'm, <laughs> I'm gutted. Um, no, but look, Casapia, it was funny because we, I think this is the second time, obviously, last week we didn't do a show, but the week before that, we were also talking about a week when Casapia got a win um, and actually they hadn't been in the best form and it was a good win for their season. I still think that's the case and I don't think they were perfect. I think when I watched the first half, they scored just before the end of the second half and that was the defensive error which kind of gifted them the goal. I think before that they were actually struggling. I thought Mauricio were having a lot of the ball. They weren't doing a lot with it, but I don't think Kazapir were, re- were really threatening in that first half. And so I think this is another instance where obviously they've done well to get a win. They've they've taken the chances that were kind of given to them. The second goal they created for themselves, it's a good goal. Um, but I think that they're still not, look- they're still not looking their- at their best. And I think... It's a win that keeps them in the hunt for Europe. That's so precious to them, but they are they are kind of struggling a little bit. I'll, I'm going to make make the efforts to watch them again next time they play because I just want to try and get a proper sense of where they're at. I'm still not quite sure where they're at in terms of their form because they've had a couple of good wins, but I don't think it's necessarily reflective of of where they're at as a team at the moment. Well, no, they've 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 the team that had to go through some sort of some sort of evolution as the season regressed in terms of the you know they they. The players they've had to use, and uh, yeah, I think Lello was playing on the on the right side of that back five in this game. You know, um, it, it's they, they, they've had to make some changes. I mean, the, the one change that I've really liked, and uh, from what I've seen, is um, I think that it was is young Benny, uh, the midfielder. I think the only time he talked about him was when he got that silly red card. Was it against Aruka where he, he just put his hand up, and um, that was a few weeks ago. But he's, you know, he's he's been excellent apart from that incident really and he's keeping the likes of Romario Barra out of that team in, in the midfield and uh, I just think he gets Casapia moving forward you know he's, he's he had the most dribbles this game you know good carry of the ball had the second best passing actually and, and a range of passes that you know he's, he's not afraid to to put those balls up looking for Godwin or Yuki Soma in behind you know he, and he, he got the assist as well for the second goal getting himself up into the box and yeah so I've, I like, I've liked the look of him that way yeah Definitely keep an eye on them uh, in the coming weeks. All right, lastly, Barney, let's talk about Pastor Ferreira. They played Aruka away from home, uh, and it was a 1-1 draw. Listen, I thought this was a quality game. I really enjoyed this as, as a neutral. I'm sure fans of both teams didn't enjoy it as much as I did, um, especially the the Passos fans who I think saw their team put through the mill a little bit in this game. They would have targeted it as a winnable game, um, but it was anything but easy to get that point. They did come away with a point though against the odds. They they need they kind of needed the three points in advance of the game, but I, I don't think on balance they they the fans can really have any complaints about about the point here because I mean on a different day if if Iruka are more clinical, I think they they run away with this game fairly comfortably. Yeah, yeah. I mean it was a, it was a horrible miss penalty from Bassa, wasn't it? He was... It was horrible for anyone who has him in their fantasy team, Barney. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> Uh, I, I still love it. I, I still really, really like him. I, I like that he, I love that he takes a penalty, but that but he was a bit. He got a bit too bold with, with that run up. 
and sort of stuttering the yeah the the, the jump it just hitting the bar and then yeah like you said I, I, Majika looked good he had a good opportunity I think he hit he um he hit the post as well at one point in this game and I I, I thought they could have been yeah three up at some point but then is that man Albert we've just been talking about two teams who who sort of lack leadership and 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 someone who can sort of guide them and Nicholas Guyton just was immense again to either get gets the equalizer just played unbelievable and I I just really I was just thinking I would just it's just a sort of side note you know this guy has been at the top you know he he's had an amazing career and I just he's because he's not going to be getting that much money at passes to Ferrer, is he and and, and he, there must have been an opportunity to go to the MLS or even go back to Argent, Argentina, perhaps, and be on more money. And, and I just just couldn't stop thinking about the fact that he's playing for Passos of Ferreira, and, but but still doing it and having that desire. It's, it's incredible. He, he was the best player on the pitch. You know, there's there's no two ways about it. He was the best player on the pitch. And you, you're absolutely right to say that. We've just had conversations about two teams where we've pretty much said the same thing, where we can't see where the results are coming from. Well. To me, this is the biggest difference with Pastor Ferreira and, and why I think they have the best opportunity to finish on top of the other two is because if you ask me where I think the difference, where the goals are coming from, where the wins are coming from for Pastor Ferreira, I can point to players and tell you I think these are going to be difference makers. One of those is Nico Gaetan, who was phenomenal on the day. But then they've got other leaders. They've got Antunes, they've got Luis Carlos as, as senior players who, who will be leaders. And then they've got players of quality around other areas of the pitch. Nigel Thomas, I think, can be a difference maker. Jordan Holsgrove can be a difference difference maker. I think it's Nuno Lima at the back, the centre back, who who looks pretty good. Um, so they've got good players all around the pitch. That said, they were second best today, and I think we have to be fair and say Aruga should have won this game. It was Jarrod Bassar, as you said, with the penalty, missed it, hits the crossbar. But also Rafa Mujica, who been very good in the game, but he's got that one on one where he hits the crossbar that has to go in, that has to go in, and and it doesn't. So. Passos obviously lucky to get a point out of this game but then that's what I'm saying is that you feel like Passos the team that's going to get that bit of luck to get a point you know because they're they're, they're making that luck for themselves as a team um, what about Arugolo Barney how how important do you think it is that that Rafa Mujica is I've wrote down that he's kind of emerging as a, as a Aruka goal scorer I suppose it's a re-emergence because he's already done it once before where he, he looked like a promising striker then he kind of went back into the shadows behind Ode the bag. Obviously the bag is not really on the scene anymore. So it's so important that they have a player like Mujica in the team. And and when I watch him play, I don't know where he's been all this time because I think he looks excellent. I think he looks like a really, really good player, good striker. He's got good control, good finishing. He's not the most physical, but he's got decent pace, decent close control. And I think he looks like a player who, who, who could play, you know, up front for a lot of teams in this league. Well, I think Abel with Aruka, there's one thing that is, is blindingly clear with 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 this team and and and, and the striker that they've had at their disposal is that they they are they've got an XG of twenty five point seven for the season, but they've come away with thirty eight goals. Right, that just shows you the quality they've had in 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 those goal scorers. You know, getting getting can get goals they shouldn't really be getting. To be fair, and 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 Aruka is like the bag has has been an excellent finisher. I saw a statistic album that said um, at this point last year, Aruka had 16 less points than they do this season. So that's a 16 point difference that they've had this year, and it's 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 it really is amazing. I think I think they're just I know we've we've praised them a lot recently, but I just I just can't believe the the, the job they're doing is is just phenomenal. Hmm. 
Absolutely. Aruka now obviously in sixth place. They're they're above Kazapir in seventh despite being on the same points. 38 points each. Only two points behind Vittorio Vini. It's uh, tantalizingly close, isn't it, that, that this team could potentially be playing in Europe considering that I think we backed them to go to be relegated two seasons on the trot and, and they are happily proving us all wrong. So fair play to Aruka. Well, look, we said we were going to get you up to date with the relegation battle. So just to kind of summarise where everything's at now. Um, Santa Clara in last place. They're in 18th. They've got 15 points. And then Pastor Ferreira and Maritimo both have one more point. They're on 16 points. Pastor Ferreira in 17th and Maritimo are in 16th. That must be head-to-head and that's because... Uh, Maritimo beat Pastor Ferreira quite early on in the season for their first win of the season. So it's obviously very close. The team above them in 15th, Barney, is Estoril on 22 points. Um, that's quite a big gap, six-point gap with nine games left to play, although Estoril are not in great form. So I'm not convinced personally that any of these three teams are going to finish outside the bottom three. I think the fight really is for the for the playoff place as a lifeline. Um, I find it interesting, finally, that, you know, we talk about these three teams, Passos are making a kind of late-season fight for survival. Uh, it's a mission impossible that we never thought was going to happen. They could still go down, even if they have a great end to the season, of course. So I think it's important not to get, not to get our hopes up. The one thing I wanted to get your opinion on is just how you feel about the kind of standard at the bottom end of the table because I'm looking at a team like Estoril I think it's quite possible that with nine games to go a, a team like Estoril could survive in the Premier League with, with 25 points or maybe even less and that could be enough to survive which to me is is such a low points tally you know we're looking at we're talking about teams 25 games in on 15 points it's um it's pretty damning stuff so you know we, we love this relegation battle it, it brings a lot of drama and, and we love talking about it but I think it's also worth saying that at the bottom of the table, there has been a lot, a lot of really poor quality. And I think as much as I love Passos and I think they all, they all have the best chance of staying up, I think Maritimo and Santa Clara going down, it's, it's hard to say anything other than, and then it's probably what they deserve with the, the seasons that they've had. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that. I think that looking at, well, looking at generally the league, there's been so many teams who have suddenly had huge changes in fortune or be that with a, a change in manager you know they've had real sort of Jekyll and Hyde seasons perhaps um whereas you know the, these these bottom teams seem to have been consistently struggling um which is why it's the, what you know it's just it, there's been no real moments of of, of hope really for particularly Marisa and Santa Clara I'm not so sure on Estoril but I I I know they um they lost at the weekend and uh, I I can sort of see them getting dragged into it. I, I think from passes, uh, hopefully getting a few more wins. Uh, well, whilst Estrel probably lose, uh, so that's what that's what I can see happening because they 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 need to sort things out quickly as well because they're 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 a team in free fall. And I just feel like slightly further up the table, we're seeing teams sort of get their acts together now. We haven't talked about Family Cow who have gone on a great run. They're they're, they're and they were once down that end of the table, so. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a real close one, I think, and 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 that's the thing with the the playoff place, isn't it? It gives us a little extra bit of drama, um, and I, I I hope I hope there's a little fight there from Passos uh, to try and drag Astro into it. Just a bit of context for our listeners: last season, um, 
Bizad and Tondela were relegated. Bizad had 26 points. Tondela had 28 points. Morarens were relegated, but they finished in the playoff spot with 29 points. And Aruka were in 15th. They had 31 points. Um, I can't see any of the bottom three getting close to that 28, 29 point mark. So I think it's going to be, uh, yeah, a, a low points tally at the bottom of the table. But look, don't let that put you off because, in my opinion, Barney, outside of you know the title race being wrapped up, there's some interesting fights for the European places. But outside of that, the relegation battle is is uh, where all the action is at this part of the season, definitely. Well, look, with the international break upon us, we wanted to end this show with a little Q&A with your questions about the season so far and what you think the rest of the season will bring. Um, we've had some really great questions, so thank you to everybody who sent in a question. We're going to do our best to answer them. Um, a couple of people sent in similar questions, so why don't we start with that, Barney? This is one that you might like. Um, Michael Stewart, a good friend of the show, asks, your thoughts on Pepper's new job uh, and overall, why do you think Portuguese managers are choosing Brazil over Portugal at the moment? That was after Pepper, former Vitória, former Pastor Freire, former Tondela manager, was announced as the, the manager of Cruzeiro. And we also had a very similar question from a good friend of the show, Ewan McKenna, who says, my beloved Cruzeiro have just appointed Pepper as manager. Any insight into him and if he's any good, his type of football and whether Cruzeiro fans should be happy. Um I said to you and on Twitter at the time that he's not exactly a tactical innovator. Um, you know, he's not a young Pep Guardiola, although it's almost his namesake. Um, I think he's quite a pragmatic manager. Um, I think he is a positive manager, but I don't know if you would agree with that. I don't think of him as a defensive manager, but I, I think he likes his teams to to control games if they can. Um, and I think he's achieved good things. He was the manager that got passes to Ferreira to the Europa Conference League, which was a, a big achievement for them. Um, he obviously didn't manage them in the Conference League because he had then moved to Vitoria. Didn't have a great time at Vitoria, but I think we said at the time, Barney, that it was a difficult job at that time. Um, and I don't think it was quite reflective of his abilities as a manager. I know he's managed in the Middle East, I think, before going to Cruzeiro. I don't know how he did there. Um, but yeah, I think it's an interesting one. Um, I think he'll, I've got no idea how he'll do. And on the question about why a Portuguese managers going to Brazil, well, maybe the doors closed for a lot of Portuguese managers on Europe. You know, we used to see young, promising Portuguese managers step into Europe. But I think that those opportunities are not really coming anymore. So their choice is really either the Middle East or Brazil. And I think a lot of these managers are going to the Middle East, taking a payday, getting sacked, and then going, well, where do I go from here? Go back to Portugal, you know, maybe with uh, small crowds and not much money. Or they go to Brazil where it's all a little bit more exciting. It's a it's a new experience, a new culture. It doesn't always work. I think Ivo Vieira is not doing so well. I can't remember what team he's at. I think he's in the second division in Brazil. But then there's some bigger names. Abel Ferreira's done really well at Palmeiras. So it's an interesting one. There's obviously the language connection, which makes it a bit easier. I'm not sure what I will predict for Pepe. I hope it goes well. I do like him as a manager. I don't think he was ever the best manager in Portugal, but um, I, I liked him in general. I mean, at his peak, though, there was rumours of um, some of the big free jobs, wasn't there, for Pepper when he was doing his his, the, the, his magic at um, Passos de Ferreira. I think what I, I think what we saw from Pepper at Vitória, but perhaps is um, 
and, and and perhaps the answer to why we're seeing more Portuguese managers go to Brazil is is I thought we saw someone get just a bit too disheartened. Disheartened is that the word? Disheartened. Sorry. Um. Uh, with the state that Portuguese football has has evolved into recently, there's been you know we've seen that obviously there's always been the high turnover of managers, but I think we're seeing more and more the high turnover of uh, players as well. You know that is the the way this league has been ransacked for for talent from more and more different areas of the globe it's it, it's it's incredibly hard to sort of have any consistency and you know that passes for everything that got into the european spaces was was ripped apart and, and we see that and and so it's a it's a really turbulent place to sort of try and build any consistency and you talked about you know managers being able to get jobs in europe well it, they're, they're being asked to do sort of a brand new job every season essentially when they've had any bit of success so Whereas I feel like the Brazilian market and the and, and the league at the moment is is getting is getting to a good state in terms of um, the money coming in directly to them with, uh, with the players being tapped up by uh, big clubs in Europe rather than waiting for them to that pathway might have been uh, moved to Portugal first before you get that move to a big club. I feel like Brazil is perhaps in a more stable um, place in terms of the way that the, the the squads are put together and 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 bringing youngsters through. Whereas, yeah, I think what we saw at Vitória was a, a a really difficult time for Pepper to sort of try and build build any sort of like squad that had any any sort of fight. Um, but yeah, I wish him all the luck in the world because I I did like him at Pastors. I thought he was he was he did a really good job there. Yeah, you and let us know how he gets on. Um, hope he does well. Right, a double header from Crispy Chris at Crispy Chris two. First question, Barney: Who goes further in Europe, Sporting or Benfica? Sporting will play Juventus in the Europa League. Benfica will play Inter in the Champions League. Um, I'll quickly answer that first. I actually think Benfica have got more of a chance of beating Inter. I wasn't too impressed with them against Porto in the Champions League. I think Juventus, although I don't watch the uh, Italian League, I think Juventus are uh, coming into form a bit. So I think that will be a tougher ask for, for Sporting. And I think I fancy Benfica against Inter, to be honest. Yeah, I certainly fancy Benfica against Inter. And I think I, I think Juventus might just be that bit too strong for for sporting, but then you never know. I think it's Sporting's performance against Arsenal, which really was a turning point for me in terms of my my belief in Sporting. They they really showed me something. So they can do that again. They 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 could be you know. There's nothing to say they can't beat Juventus. Well, second part of Chris's question. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure who Chris is supporting, but I think this might be a slightly loaded question. He says, "What do you think would benefit the league more in terms of who finishes in second place?" Is it better for Porto to finish in second place and therefore be more likely to have Champions League success? Or is it better for Braga to finish in second place uh, and have more exposure, uh, expose another team to Europe, um, maybe have another team with a bit more money, uh, but likely an embarrassing UCL group stage exit? <laughs> um, so I'm interested to what you think, because he kind of laid it out. You know, Is it better for the Portuguese league to have Porto more likely to go far? Or is it better for another team to have an influx of money from the Champions League and therefore that might make the league more competitive? Well, this is a hard one to answer. I think the one thing that makes this difficult is recent conversations we've been having a lot about the coefficient and how Portugal are in danger of slipping below. Well, I say in danger, they are going to slip below Holland uh, in terms of coefficient rankings. And that all comes from... Uh, Portugal not doing well in the Europa Conference League and, and the Europa League in general because Holland are kind of clearing up in the Europa Conference League and getting a lot of coefficient points for their for their league. So is it better that Porto go far and get us more coefficient points 
Um, or is it better that Braga gets some more money that makes the league more competitive? Well, the one thing you could say, Brian, is that if Porto drop in the Europa League, they've got more of a chance of getting to a final. And that would, of course, be a lot of points for uh, Portugal in terms of the coefficient. So I'd always be inclined to say maybe Braga should finish second, take the Champions League money. That makes the league more competitive. And then Porto can head down into the Europa League, get to the final and get us some more coefficient points. I don't mind that, Albert. Uh, uh, <laughs> I think the Porto fans would. <laughs> no, I, I think the coefficient thing sort of blows my mind a little bit. I think, so yeah, we, we basically need our teams to get as many wins as possible. Um, uh, so yeah, perhaps that is the best solution. I think also, I, I, on, on Braga quick as well, I I, I think that's a, that squad is at an interesting stage where I, I don't see too many players getting pinched now. Now Patini has gone, whether Andre... Uh, Ricardo Horta gets a move that that ship may have sailed, you know, and suddenly you've got a that squad potentially with a, a, a bit of investment and not really losing anyone big, you know that that's a strong team and that could really disrupt the the, the big three as we know it. All right, thank you, Chris, for those questions. Um, let's do another multiple question, Barney. People sneaking in extra questions, a little bit cheeky, but we don't mind it, especially when it comes from good friend of the show, Dita. Uh, he's asked us three questions, Barney. So let's run through these. First one, I think we've just um, touched on it. Will Benfica beat Inter Milan in the Champions League? I think we both say yes. Yeah. Next quick fire one: Can anybody beat Benfica to win in the title? Again, I think we both say no. Yeah. <laughs> and this one is this one is an interesting one, bit of a longer one. Um, what's your opinion on the players they got to call up from Roberto Martinez for the national team? What should be the starting lineup? Well. It's, I don't think we can give our own starting lines for the national team um, as much as we love the Portugal's national team. We don't. I don't think we really follow the players who play outside of Portugal close enough to comment. So I can't really comment on the players from outside of the Portuguese league that got called up. The one thing I will say is, I think off the top of my head, the players that got called up from the Primera Liga was Diogo Costa, uh, Pepe, although he's injured. Um, Florentino Luiz was not. Pedro Gonçalves was not. Um, I think it was Otavio... I think Antonio Silva, of course. So yeah, I think it's more for me. It was more about the players that didn't get called up. I was disappointed Florentino Luis didn't get called up. Pedro Gonzalez didn't get called up. Um, so yeah, those were the two players I think that I would have liked to have seen called up. But then you know you got to respect that they got a lot of good players in the national team. I think Antonio Silva is, is certainly deserved. I think uh, I was really glad he got that opportunity because. What he's about been... Nasio as well, Bon? Do you like that one? Yeah, I think I, I think that he's. It looks, Particularly if he's going to go with his free for free formation like he did with um, uh, Belgium, so that that makes sense. Um, yeah, maybe Pedro Gonçalves is is the the main one for me. But I, I've really rated Florentino, but I think he's got his time will his time will certainly come in that in that squad. Whereas Pedro Gonçalves, I think is is a player who's is done really really well this season, and I, I think I've perhaps underappreciated him. So he 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 could have been in more of a shout perhaps. But yeah, it, yeah, I think that that, that that's. That's the only one I'd have a sort of a real complaint about. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you, Dieter, for those questions. Um, two questions here, Barney, from a good friend of the show, Pete Demekin. Thank you for your questions, Pete. Um, first one is a, a quick one. Uh, the best teams to watch outside the Big Three or Big Four? Aruka, like that. And I would, I've, I've enjoyed, I've, I've enjoyed lots of teams, but I'd, I'd maybe, maybe Aruka. I've enjoyed Passos. I've, I've enjoyed Vizela a lot as well. One, one for me personally. I need to watch more Family Cow. I think Family Cow are a team that a lot of people should keep an eye. We haven't covered them enough. Definitely, um, they're in good form. Um, at this point in time, Pete, I would say always watch 
watch the Passos game just because you never know what's going to happen. And <laughs> it might be good or bad. Yeah, but I agree. Aruka playing really well. Um, if I had to pick another team that I like watching, I always like watching Vizela. Uh, and do you know what? That hasn't changed with the new manager, Talipa, coming in. I think they still play really good football. They've not, they've not been amazing. They're 10th. Look, they're, they're solid. They're, they're staying up. Um, but I always like watching watching Vizela. They play good football. I was just going to say Portman and so you can see... Um, what's his name? Shouting at fans. Carlos <laughs> Sergio. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's a good shot. Um, Pete's second question is a bigger question. And he says, thoughts on how to improve the Liga and improve attendances outside of the grounds. Now, I think this is in reference to a tweet I did where I was asking for people's opinions on why uh, attendances are so small. There was an article recently which said that there are teams in England's fifth tier, which have a highest average attendance in teams in Portugal's top tier. And of course, we're talking about teams outside of, uh, well, outside of the top five, I suppose, who who struggle with attendances. So, of course, we could dedicate a whole a whole podcast to this subject. So it's difficult to go in too depth. But yeah, Barney, let me know if you, what you think would, would help improve attendances. For me, I think one thing actually from doing that tweet that I had disregarded was... Um, a couple of people came back talking about the media influence on on people. Initially, I disregarded that. My instinct was to say, um, my instinct was to say that I don't, I don't think the media influence people. You know, I think the media exists if it's newspapers or TV shows, whatever it is. The newspapers exist to sell themselves. Like TV shows exist to sell themselves, and so they will just give people what they want. So it's not the media that influence people. It's it's people influencing what the media put out, but. Do you know what? A couple of people made this comment and I think yeah, it kind of changed my mind a little bit. I, You know, you think about England, Barney, there's one of the most popular shows on English TV is Match of the Day. And on Match of the Day, they don't just show the top six games and then call it a day. They'll show every single game uh, highlights and every single game will be analysed. And every team is given not equal attention because some teams get put on first and people tune out after the first few games. But at least every team is given some consideration. Um, and I think if there was more media kind of focus on teams outside of the big three, that would help because and I think that a lot of people said is that, you know, if this is a cultural thing, it's that it's considered weird to kind of not support one of the big three. If you're like a 13-year-old kid at school, going to school with your mates, and you're the only one who doesn't support one of the big three, and you're you're the only Rio Ave fan, you're the only Bazella fan. You, you you're a bit weird. So I think maybe if there was more kind of media support for the, for these teams, more coverage of these teams, so that fans could be feel more engaged, it was easier to feel engaged with your local club. Then maybe that would help. I mean, that's just that's just one small thing that could help grow attendances. I mean, yeah, maybe uh, you know organizing the games that they didn't happen at nine pm on a Monday night might help. Things like that. There's a lot of things really, but um, yeah, those are a couple of that I can consider. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with those. And then, particularly, you know, I think one of the things of football that I love is is the stories, the context, right? And and I think even when we research some of the the stories for these smaller teams, it's 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 quite hard to find, and and so it is hard to build, you know, to build those narratives that get people interested um and yeah they just and, and it just needs to be well yeah it, we need to do a whole podcast there, but I, I, there should be a huge revolution in, in terms of like the the devolution of power from the big three down to 
the smaller teams in, 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 in TV writers money in in that the dominance of the youth academies and the young talent being uh, snapped up I think that's one perhaps one of the interesting things about you know the, these stories that are starting to pop up more and more about clubs looking to invest in in Portuguese clubs as to act as feeder clubs one thing that might come from that would be the improved youth system and then that would then mean that there's more young players staying at the, in their regions and, and are working with those teams before getting moves to bigger clubs but then once again that's another whole messy situation as well that we, we could do a whole podcast on yeah lots needs to, lots needs to change and and I think the perhaps the most important thing to end on here Albert is the importance of ticket money it, it, you know that, that in England that's that is the club's bread and butter is what they rely on to run a football club whereas in, you know they they that they rely on that whereas in Portugal it just doesn't seem that there's no way that, that, that these smaller teams could run on, on ticket money alone you know it, it, because the tensions are just so small and so yeah something does need to change yeah the short answer is that there is no short answer but thank you Pete for your questions and, and for your support as always um, two more questions Barney this one's a quick one from Eugene Lavery who says does BSAT have a future well Eugene I can update you that Believe it or not, yes, they do. <laughs> because um, BSAD have teamed up with uh, a club in the second division called Sporting Covilha. I think that's the right team. Um, I'll double check. But basically, they've done what I suggested they have to do, which was to team up with a struggling team uh, who had an identity, really. So that the kind of business side of BSAD, which is a business with no club identity, can team up with a club which has an identity but needs maybe maybe struggling business wise they will combine um and then be will function as a kind of you know business but they will have a club face that actually works so it <laughs> they've actually done it i would have rather they just died to be honest but they've gone down that route so yeah they are they will they will have a, a new club next season now um that was horrible it is sporting <laughs> i know it is it sounds really bad but look, that's just the situation um, interestingly, Barney, Sporting Cavilla and BSAD are next to each other in the table. Cavilla are 17th in the automatic relegation place and BSAD are 16th in the playoff place. So if one of them survives, they will stay in the second division. And of course, if they're relegated, then they will just go down to the third division. So BSAD does have a future. Who would have thought it, eh? That's that's just that's so horrible. Once again, it's just all horrible stuff and BSAD. <laughs> And I wonder what the fans of Sporting Committee feel about it, because or if they have the choice, you know. Bloody hell. I think the fans voted it through, actually, or the members did. So I think, to be fair, I'll be less harsh on Covilio, because I think for them, they're the ones keeping their identity. So for them, I suppose it's more just of a business transaction. They're basically getting new owners, yeah, yeah. I think, for them. And, keeping and, and, club alive. And it gives them a second chance of staying in the second division. So I'm less harsh on them, but um, yeah, they will, they, will, uh, they will survive under a different guise next season. Um, and last question, Bonnie. I won't say this, who this is from because it looks like the tweet was actually deleted. So maybe they didn't want it read out on the show. But it was such a good question that I would at least like to put it to you because I had a chance to read it. Um, and so this last question was about newly promoted teams. And the question was simply, why do you think that newly promoted teams into the Premier League are surviving so often? Um, I'm not sure if our listeners are aware of this, but in the last two seasons... Um, both times that three teams have gone up, all three have survived, and I'm including this season in that because um, Kazapir, Shavs, and Rio Ave are all likely to stay up. So in two seasons, we've had a six-club turnaround in an 18-team league. That's a third of the league that's changed in two seasons. And it really does seem that we're in a moment where 
teams are being promoted to the Primera Liga, replacing um, arguably kind of historically bigger clubs who who are struggling. I mean, you look down at the uh, the Segunda Liga now, and I'm seeing well, Morin's at the top of the league. They're going to go up. They've done really well, but Morin's are relegated last year. Not a historically huge club, but that's a club that we at least associate with the Primera Liga in recent times. You've got Florenz, again, that's another team we've experienced in the top division. They're fighting to be promoted a bit further down. You've got Tondela, a team that we were uh, comfortable seeing in, in the Primera, we were uh, accustomed to seeing in the Primera Liga. And a bit further down, you've got clubs like Nacional from uh, Madeira. So, you know, there's big clubs down in the second division that have, have struggled, they've been relegated and they've not come back up, although, like I said, Morarens will come straight back up. And in the Primera Liga, you've got clubs like Vizela, Aruca, you've got Chaves, you've got Rio Ave, you've got, you know, multiple clubs that have been promoted and look like they're going to stay up. So I think it's a really, really interesting question because we are in a moment where it seems like, I think what this comes down to is obviously we always talk about the fact there's a big gap between the top five or the top four and the rest of the league. But the flip side to that is that the gap between the second division and the first division is much smaller. So we are seeing clubs... Uh, promoted and staying up and Aruka are a great example of that Casapira a great example of that Bizella are a great example of that why do you think that is that these clubs are staying up I think in all of these cases Casapia, Bizella, Aruka and even Rio Ab to an extent although you know they are a, historically a Premier League club as well these are all clubs who are really well organised and really well run and had a kind of a plan to not just get to the Premier League but stay there and, and they're executing those plans really well. So I think it's actually a really healthy sign. Obviously, it's not great to see historically big clubs relegated, but maybe there's a complacency around those clubs where they've kind of always been run the same way and then now realising that you can't survive by doing that. And these other clubs who've, who have organised better and, and had these plans in place that they're now executing are seeing the fruits of that, of that work. And I think I personally welcome it and I think it is an encouraging sign. Yeah, I, Albert, I don't think I could have described it better than that. I think that's spot on. I think we're seeing clubs who, who might have been quite comfortable in the in the top division for a little while sort of come to an end of a cycle in terms of, you know, they might have had those one or two key players who have been with them for a while and at, but yet hadn't been picked up by a big club. Uh, they would have had a few bits of talent that they would have picked up from, say, Brazil or something that had come off, but then suddenly, you know, it takes one or two players to leave that club and you're sort of left with a, a, a sort of a very weak squad and I think certainly in Santa Clara and, and Marita we're seeing that now uh, whereas you know you've got these teams like Aruka coming up and just looking at recruitment in a completely fresh way for, for a Portuguese club like Vizela as well you know getting players from all different different leagues that haven't really been tapped and, and for, for obviously far less money and and putting together a really good squad so I think that's what we're seeing is, is, is you know, this this realization in Portugal that you can do things a bit differently, uh, you, you know, and 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 reap the benefits. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 great to see. I, I mean, that's that's why we were saying earlier that you watch Fazella, watch Ruka because you know they're doing things a little bit different, and, and it's not the same old. I couldn't agree with that more, Barney. Very well put. Well, look, I lied, Barney. We do actually have one question, and how could I forget? to answer the question from one of our good friends Jack Hacken. Uh, I apologise Jack we've almost missed out your question but he asks which promising youngsters in the league and then he suggested age 22 and younger from outside of the big three in Braga could you see playing at one of the big clubs in the future 
Or, and he's put, making a move to a big foreign club like Feyenoord. I'm not sure about that. Um, he says we can also suggest an older player if we want. Oh, I like that question. Um, oh, I feel like there's been quite a lot recently. Um, there that, has that, been. Do you know, there's a couple of youngsters at um, Victoria that I like a lot. Andre Amaro, the centre-back. Forgive me, Derek. I actually don't know their ages off the top of my head. They might be in their early 20s. Um, Miguel Maga at right back, I, I like a lot as well. So Victoria have got some good young players. And again, I think a player that maybe is a bit older, but that I think is ready and probably will make a step up in the summer. And that's Ivan Jaimea at Family Cow. He's kind of threatened to make a step up for the last couple of seasons. I think he's about 23. So still young, but not... Um, not super young, but yeah, I think those are some good suggestions for players that I think could could make a step up if they were called upon. Especially Amaro is centre back at Victoria. I think he looks very um very mature for his age. I really like um Bruno, the Nigerian left back for Burvista. I think he's only twenty years old. Um he's he's starting to look really, really good. Uh I was really impressed with our um is it Thiago Santos, the the young uh Portuguese right back for S. The first half of the season, I thought he was phenomenal, but I feel like he's sort of faded into the, a bit of obscurity, perhaps not getting as many games as he previously had. Um, and then, yeah, I certainly agree with Ivan, Jamie. Uh, it's the age thing that's throwing me out, and now I'm doubting if one of these players are young enough. Well, do you know, do you know what, Barney? I'm going to cheat a bit, and I've just got up the list of players called up to Portugal's under-21 squad. So if you would, if you wanted to run through some of the names of, of young players, 21 and under, that are currently playing in the Premier League, some of these names are fantastic. You've got Alessandro Penetra, the young right-back slash centre-back at Family Cow, who's, who's always impressed me. He's captained them on occasion, so he looks really good. Andre Amaro, that I mentioned. Leonardo Lello, of course, Barney, who plays for Casapia, the left-back. He looks like he will be uh, a left-back in demand because, you know, left-back is a position that comes at a premium and and I think he will he will be in demand this summer. Interesting to see that, um, is it Bruno Langer? Um, Chavez has been rumoured with Benfica as well. The other left-back, he's, he's, he's been quite good. So yeah, so there's some there's, there's plenty of good players. I mean, all of those are all of those are defenders, but uh, there's good talent around this league, definitely, not just in, in the big clubs. And actually, you know, with players like Thomas Araujo at Gil Vicente, who's come on loan from from Benfica and, and Paolo Bernardo who's come on loan as well from Benfica we're seeing even the the kind of big freeze best young players are often going out on loan to the smaller clubs anyway so yeah you know as always with this league plenty of plenty of young talent to, to keep an eye on all right well that is the last of our questions and um, I'm not sure how long this is going to be after I looked at Barney but I think this is going to be a bit of a bumper episode so if you listen to the end um, thank you very much for listening we do really appreciate it obviously it's the international break next week so we're going to have a week off from the podcast and we'll be back with you the following week uh, once the Premier League is back so uh, we hope you all enjoy the international break have a good week put your feet up uh, and enjoy the novelty that is international football um, if you've enjoyed listening to the show you could live you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts a five-star review on Apple Podcasts would be absolutely fantastic if you've enjoyed listening um, on Spotify as well you can leave a star rating um, and if you want to get in contact with us whether you've got any opinions on any of the questions that we've answered or anything that we've discussed in the show today you can find us on Twitter at LongballFootball and we always love chatting to you guys whether that's uh, through comments or, or DMs we're always happy to chat so uh, yeah get in contact anytime um, but I just leave me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week yes it is you